following is an R.E.D. Podcast Network production, bringing on-demand geek audio straight to your eardrums one podcast at a time. To listen to more great geek audio podcasts, check out the R.E.D. Podcast Network at redpodcastnetwork.com, iTunes, and Stitcher Radio. PM Somewhere Podcast. My name is Ian. This is the podcast where we get into real talk about real beer. And I can't believe it. This is episode number 10. Yep, that's right, Homer. Woo! Indeed. Episode 10 of the show. Sorry about there being no show last week, but I was making preparations for the start of a 10-part video series. That's right. I am doing a 10-part video series, which is going to be on YouTube and also posting on the 11pmsomewhere.com website as well, which is basically where I'm going to take uh, probably about 10 Irish brewers and I'm going to take the products of their labors and I'm going to show how they can be incorporated into food. And probably in a couple of ways people hadn't actually envisaged it could be done. And first episode of that went out last week, um, which was, <coughs> sorry about that, where I'd actually taken Brew Brewery's uh, Rua uh, Red Ale and I'd actually incorporated it into a hamburger making the ultimate Brew Rua Burger. So if you haven't already seen that, check it out over at 11pmsomewhere.com or you can check it out up on uh, YouTube if you just do a search for beer in my food and that'll take you to that. Also, more good news about the podcast this week is that we are now officially part of the Stitcher Radio platform. So that means anyone who is on an Android platform or anyone who doesn't like iTunes, you'll be able to listen to us on the go on your mobile device. All you need to do is go to either the Google Play Store or go to the iTunes Store and you can install the Stitcher Radio app. And check out that podcast and thousands of other amazing podcasts. Stitcher is a really, really cool platform. I've been using it for a while in a number of my other uh, podcasts as well. And uh, yeah, it's just really, really cool. And you should go definitely check it out. So what are we going to be talking about in the show this week? Well, uh, during the week, it seems the Brewers Association of America caused a little bit of a shitstorm when they decided to take out their pens and papers and... Their pencil sharpeners and erasers, and make some changes to their definition of craft beer. And I know it's uh, you would think, yeah, that would shouldn't really cause much of a problem. Guess what? It did. It caused a toy, an absolute shitstorm of a problem last week. Uh, so let me just sort of take you into. Uh, their definition of what a craft beer is. And I think that's the really important place to start with this, just so you can understand. Um, what they actually said was, initially, and this was something which was drafted up sort of uh, going back even as far as 2011, is that an American craft brewer is small, independent, and traditional. That is sort of the underlying part for it. That's the elevator pitch, short and sweet. By small, what they mean is annual production of 6 million barrels of beer or less, uh, which is approximately 3% of U.S. annual sales. Independent, less than 25% of the brewery is actually owned or controlled by a uh, beverage alcohol industry member that is in itself not a craft brewer. And by traditional, what they mean is that the majority of its total beverage alcohol volume in beers, whose flavor derives from traditional or innovative brewing ingredients and their fermentation 
Apparently, flavoured malt beverages are not considered beers. So, the concepts basically are, number one, craft brewers or small brewers. Two, the hallmark of craft beer and craft brewers is innovation. Craft brewers interpret historic styles with unique twists and develop new styles that have no precedent. Number three, craft beer is generally made with traditional ingredients like malted barley. Interesting and sometimes non-traditional ingredients are often added for distinctiveness. Number four, craft brewers tend to be very involved in their communities through philanthropy, product donations, volunteerism and sponsorship of events. Number five, craft brewers have distinctive individualistic approaches to connecting with their customers. Six, uh, craft brewers maintain integrity by what they brew and their general independence free from substantial interest by a non-craft brewer. And number seven, the majority of Americans live within 10 miles of a craft brewer. And that apparently is their definition. All very fine, well and good. So, what was the shitstorm that was created last week? Well... <clears throat> The long and short of it is that last week a couple of other brewers who were traditionally by that definition excluded from being craft brewers uh, all of a sudden came into the mix and actually became uh, craft brewers as a result. Um, and the, <clears throat> See, here's the thing. The, small, the thing by small where you say 6 million barrels of beer uh, <clears throat> a year or less <clears throat> is something that really sort of came into play So it came into play when they actually really needed to include um, Boston Beer uh, Company actually into the mix. I don't know who Boston Beer Company are, it's Samuel Adams and so on. Uh, they needed to be actually brought into the mix. And it's because they actually just have a phenomenal uh, quantity of beer that they actually produce. And for those who don't know, uh, the Brewers Association of America um, is made up of, I'll just give you a sort of rundown of who's actually on the board, you've got Gary Fish from Deschutes, you've got Sam Caligione from Dogfish Head, Ken Grossman from Sierra Nevada, Steve Indy from Brooklyn Brewery, and Kim Jordan from New Belgium, that's basically the board of what it is. Um, <clears throat> so what happens is you can see that there is sort of a bit of an interest file actually opening up here with this, and in terms of like uh, the changes that they'd made, what happened was apparently... Um, uh, one of the other brewers who was excluded from this, I can't even pronounce their name, it's Yongalush or something is uh, is what it looks I'll do, don't worry, I'll actually put it up on the post itself. Um, I don't do sort of pronunciation of really Yongling. Uh, I think it's probably my best uh, pronunciation for it. Yongling. Boy, yeah, Yongling. Um, they actually now also got included into this, and it's sort of a... Some people have actually seen this sort of redefinition of the the volume of beer that was being produced and all the rest of it as a way to try and bring some other uh, heavy hitters into the mix as well while still keeping the likes of uh, InBev and keeping uh, Miller Coors at light. Uh, at bay. And the reason being this is something controversial is that when the Brewers Association first started putting these sort of very stringent definitions based on volume ownership, where stuff is made, and holding to brewing traditions, um, people like uh, Miller Coors or Molson Coors really got their knickers in a knot over it, um, stating that they their Blue Moon product, for example, was the biggest selling craft beer, quote-unquote, uh, in the States, and they felt that it was uh, ridiculous for them to be excluded. <clears throat> uh, 
and they thought that uh, these it was really arbitrary the way this was done. Uh, InBev kind of felt the same way as well. Ranhauser Bush felt the same way as well uh, when it came to their uh, Shock Top product as well. And they also felt the same way about their Goose Island brewery. And for those who don't know, like uh, Red Hook is also another brewery which is actually owned, uh, which has fallen into the, the term that has recently been created by these uh, the Brewers Association, which is called Crafty Beers, beers which are not admitting to their ownership uh, by a large industrial brewing company um, and are pretending to be craft beers while they're actually not being craft beers. Um, but be that as it may, uh, what happened last week was uh, caused a bit of a shitstorm. And I just want to sort of get into, um, just to so you can give you a feeling of like people who are craft beer brewers, like their own thoughts on the whole idea of, and the identity of being a craft beer brewer. Because I think that's kind of important for you to sort of really understand the context of why this was such a bit of a game changer and why it caused the shitstorm that it did. I am a craft brewer. 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 I love craft beer. I love craft beer. I am passionate about craft beer. For the past 50 years, beers in the hands of average Americans have been put there by admin, mega corporations, snake oil salesmen, people who promise one thing and deliver nothing only focused on how much they're selling instead of what they're selling. But not anymore. But not anymore. Over the last several years, craft brewing has been the fastest growing beer segment in the United States. And we're just getting warmed up. Tell me I can't do it. Tell me my beers won't sell. Call me naive. Call me a revolutionary. Craft brewing is innovation, independence, curiosity, collaboration, character, and family. It's built on the American dream. Craft brewing has integrity, tradition, a style all its own. Craft brewers make their community a better place. Craft brewing from America is spreading around the world. We are small, community supportive, authentic, local, and diverse. We are risk takers. We are hard working. We don't chase after trends, we create them. A little over a hundred years ago, there were 3,000 breweries in the United States. Around that same time, mega corporations decided to put corn in their beer. They decided to put rice in their beer. I don't put corn in my beer. I don't put rice in my beer. Everything I put in my beer. I choose because it enhances the flavor. I am not afraid. I'm not afraid of brewing my beer to be more interesting rather than less. If you want lowest common denominator beer, that's up to you. I won't have any part of it. We must, we must, we must illuminate our strengths. Keep true to our standards. Educate those who seek to understand what we have created. We must draw hard lines. We must expose those who would seek to capitalize on what we have created. We must not chase after those who do not understand or care about what we do. We believe in quality, bold character, fun, responsibility, and we believe in pushing the boundaries. We are the heart and soul of the beer industry. We are all, we are all, we are all craft brewers. We must honor and hold true to our craft. We must honor and hold true to our integrity. We must honor and hold true to each other. We must spread the message. I'd like to raise a toast. To you. To us. On three, then cheers. One, two, three. Cheers!
think that kind of gives you an idea of uh, sort of where it is. And sort of anyone who's involved in the craft beer industry in this country, uh, whether it's those who are in the social media side of it, doing blogs, blogging, or people like myself doing podcasts, or you've even got the guys who are like just turning out some amazing beers in this country, like Irish craft beer brewers. Like You can all identify with that. It's a really, really identifiable thing. It's really easy to get to grips with. It's really easy to understand. And it sort of also helps echo um, an awful lot of the things that like organizations like Bjor have been involved in in Ireland and uh, their contribution to the European Beer Consumers Association. Again, something very, very important as well. Uh, providing a bit of clarity around beers, what's in them, who's producing them and where they're produced. Again, very, very important. And the point of defining craft beer is it, it's 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 really really simple i mean number one it goes to protect smaller brewers the fastest growing beer segments uh in any market right now sort of in where they're uh, mature or maturing is the craft beer section in ireland we're seeing it as well they're getting growth that they're just not getting in traditional sections definitely in the u.s definitely in the uk as well Again, the second thing is you're giving the consumer informed choice. Who's making their beers, where their beers are made, what's going into their beers, um, and what exactly their beers are about. I mean, a really good example of this is if you look at an advertisement, for example, for let's just take Budweiser, because it is, like I would say, it is the biggest selling beer in this country. Um, I don't care what anyone else says, it is. Um, if you look at what that advertisement is actually saying to you, nothing about Budweiser tells you what you're expecting to taste, what you should be expecting from this beer, other than it being clean, crisp, and clear. That's not defining anything. That's not telling you what you're looking out for in terms of taste profiles. It's not telling you anything about where the beer is made. Um, and it certainly is not telling you about what has even gone into the beer, and that's even more important as well. Um, <clears throat> again, the definition, the other important thing is it ensures that smaller brewers who are engaged in the creation of what is essentially, like it's an artisanal product, are able to charge a fair price for their efforts in the market. And I think this is hugely important. This isn't about trying to rig the markets uh, to allow little guys to succeed. This is about artisanal products being able to trade in a market fairly against larger corporations who traditionally have done below-cost selling to shift their product um, and leaving other products on the shelf as a result. And that is not a fair indication of the value of something in a market. I mean, just to sort of jump out of beer talk for a moment, and let's jump into what simple, econ simple economics talk just for a second. So if you're going to be bored by this, don't worry, I'm not going to harp on it too long. But the definition of a market is... Somewhere where buyers and sellers can come and meet and where at that point of meeting a fair price can be determined uh, between, of at a point of negotiation between the buyer and the seller with, that is equitable to both parties for a particular product. That is the entire point of a market. I mean it's the essential fundamental of free market capitalism uh, is that without the interference um, politically... Uh, without interference through unnatural distortion by parties engaged in that market, that a fair and equitable price can be sought for uh, a product which can be fair and equitably sourced as well. Uh, so let's go back into beer talk. Um, and the other point of it is that it helps promote 
promote the growth of a segment. Um, again, let's just sort of jump back out and let's have a look at just another market as well. Let's look at the cheese market. Yes, you can go into your supermarket right now and you can see a whole heap of commercial cheeses that are produced by commercial dairies and they're done on a huge industrial level. And you can spot them in their packaging and their pre-packaging and they're highly processed and everything else. And they have lists of ingredients very often that are as long as your arm and that you require several degrees to actually translate what the fuck is in your cheese. Or you can go along to somewhere like Sheridan's um, or some other specialist cheese counters within your supermarket and you can find these incredible artisanal cheeses where the ingredients are you can count them on your hand and it tells you where they were made and where they were sourced from again there's a huge difference in price but again there's the transparency of where they're from and what's in them and you don't see commercial sort of uh uh cheese producers tr trying to do anything that sort of fucks off or distorts that market in cheese like they understand that their vertical is where their vertical is and uh the people who are doing artisanal cheeses you know more power to them let them at it but there's loads of people who buy our industrially produced and processed foods um, apparently in the beer sector though, uh, they just can't let it be, and they're not going to let it be. And this sort of comes into a very interesting discussion, and I mean, the reason that this came up initially was, um, if you take back to before the podcast, uh, that I'd put out for the Brewers of Ireland series with the, uh, head of Rye River Brewing, uh, Niall Fillon, who looks over, whose, uh, company, is involved, owns the McGargles brand, which right now has been brewed in the UK under contract. Um, a lot of people sort of took umbrage with what Niall was doing with his beer brand uh, and calling it an Irish craft beer when it was brewed outside the country, but of course, the reasons for that are already on the record as to why it was being done. And I suppose if you see where the reach that Niall has got for his beer uh, right now, where it's in every goddamn supermarket you can put your hands on, every off-license around the place and everything else, it's easy to understand why he needed that volume and why he needed that level of production. And uh, the two things just go hand in hand. But uh, when you look at things like that, is are there people out there who would say, well, is if I were to take the definition of craft beer for protectionism in Ireland to sort of stave off the likes of uh, Moltz and Coors, especially if you look at their acquisition of Franwell last year, the majority stake ownership of Five Lamps Brewery by uh, CNC. Um, Am I actually saying that only microbreweries can be craft beer producers in Ireland? I mean, a couple of years ago, if you were to uh, look for the definition of a microbrewery, according to the Brewer and Masters Guild in Ireland, a microbrewery was broadly defined as any brewery that produces less than 30,000 hectolitres of beer annually. And... Well, you know, that might be the case, and you can say, well, of course, a lot of microbreweries in Ireland uh, will fall into this category um, and fall into this sort of definition of being a microbrewery, and therefore they technically are craft beer breweries. You know, that is, that's fair enough, and you can kind of live with that. But in the last week, I've sort of seen my Twitter feed um, on my 11 p.m. somewhere feed, and also my own feed sort of light up an awful lot uh, with, uh, especially... Uh, Denver Beer Guy. I, I love actually following that dude. Some of the most amazing and interesting articles that guy comes across. Um, if you don't follow him on Twitter, you most certainly should. And if you're on Untapped, go and add the dude. 
really solid guide always find some amazingly interesting articles that you should read and, and pay attention to especially if you're a lover and interested in the craft beer industry and craft beers um but it, one of the things came up was when is your craft beer not a craft beer and i suppose this was really driven home uh in recent times even a lot more when it turned up as a piece on bloomberg news uh matt miller and on bloomberg and again if you don't follow bloomberg matt miller is tends to be like one of these guys who's really solid about his uh his reporting on bloomberg and bloomberg is hardly what i would call one of the last bastions of uh equitable news um, that is unslanted. But uh, in any case, look, what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the clip for uh, for Matt where he's talking about when your craft beer is not a craft beer, just to give you some sort of an idea of it. I actually found that I drink uh, some beers that I thought were craft beers, and, I, and, they're, and they're actually owned by uh, massive companies. So first, what is a craft beer? You know, um, a lot of people think that their beers are brewed in very small batches, but according to the Brewers Association, a craft beer is uh, any beer brewer that makes less than six million barrels a year. That's a heck of a lot of beer. Beer. There's uh, uh, 248 pints in each barrel, and even more six million barrels than the U.S. than the IRS considers a, a small brewery. The IRS thinks you have to only make two million barrels, so even uh, fewer beers. But you know. I keep a little list on my iPhone of what beers I like and what beers I don't like. And I was shocked to find a few of my favorites um, owned by Anheuser-Busch. Goose Island makes a, an IPA that I absolutely love. But that, does that, so are, well, does that make you, uh, does that make the beer taste any worse? No, it, do, it doesn't, but it's just interesting. Um, a lot of people wouldn't know, for example, that uh, some of these beers, you might know Shock Top, and, uh, but you wouldn't think Blue Point is owned by Anheuser-Busch. Take a look at the ones owned by Miller Coors. Um, you might think of Blue Moon because it's gotten so popular, and Killian's because it's kind of an old old school beer, but Leinenkugels, owned by Miller Coors, it's kind of shocking. Now, it doesn't mean it's necessarily bad, you know, I mean, Volkswagen owns Ducati, but that doesn't mean they have German guys building those Italian race bikes, and I'm sure the same is true with the big brewers. They probably let a lot of these... I was going to say, do they keep, do they allow for, the, the, you know, the methods to stay the same? They try and, and separate themselves in a lot of different ways. So, for, for one thing, they create separate holding companies to own the smaller labels that they own. Uh, Miller Coors has a division called 10th and Blake Beer Company to try and blur the lines. Uh, AB InBev created Green Valley Brewery so that when you're on one of their smaller labels websites, it'll say, you know, owned by Green Valley Brewery and right. not owned by AB InBev, which might scare off some people. But what about the real craft, the true craft brewers, though? Are they getting squeezed out? Is that also part of the well, concern? Well, the true craft brewers uh, do get some real serious uh, advantages, tax advantages for one thing. You know, I mentioned the IRS. If you brew less than two million barrels a year, then you get, uh, then you only have to pay seven dollars per barrel on the first sixty thousand that you brew. It's kind of complicated, but let's just say you're only paying $7 in tax, where everybody else has to pay $18 in tax. So almost a third uh, the tax that uh, Uncle Sam demands from you. Um, and there are other 
advantages uh, to operating on that small scale, but most craft brewers are really um, brew pubs. In fact, there were 3,700 uh, brewers licensed last year, the most that have been licensed since the early 1800s. Uh, and out of that, about a third of them were brew pubs, so actual bars that just happen to have breweries set up. In so that. it sounds like you had to do a lot of taste testing. To figure out. I have been working on this story for about 25 years. I, I imagine you have been. Wow, that's a lot of beer and a lot of taste testing. I want his job. I'm sure we all do. Um, <laughs> but it's kind of interesting when you think about the, the tax implications there. Again, Bloomberg, very good at sort of bringing the business side of into this as well. Uh, anyone who set up a craft beer brewery in Ireland, of course, knows about the, uh, the difficulties in trying to go through the... Uh, Getting the taxation right for that, uh, real pain in the ass, and uh, I'm sure anyone will be able, to, if you ask them, will tell you of their horseshit and hassles they had to go through and try and get it done. But I, I want to sort of then take this back into the craft beer brewer side of things, and you know what, I don't think anyone in the US, when you're talking about the definition of craft beer and the defensiveness of craft beer and the pro-craft beer movement, I don't think anyone comes to mind more uh front of of mind then sort of Greg Coach Arcock from um Stone Brewing. Uh anyone who doesn't know who this guy is like uh, he's been living under a rock. Basically this guy is like the uh like he really is I would probably say the Sid Vicious of uh of of craft beer brewing. Like he like really started the punk craft brewing movement really and he's really sort of the guy who inspired people like James Watt and Martin Dickey or Brewdog. And his beers are just fucking incredible as well. If you've never tried Stone IPA, like, go put your hands in a bottle of it if you can. Like, it is just incredible. Uh, it's still one of my favorite beers to this day. Um, but if you ask sort of Greg uh, what the definition of craft beer is, Greg will turn around and, like, this is a quote from him directly. Craft beer is more than just awesomely delicious beer. It's also a revolution against the insult of the industrialized notion of beer that has been preying on the populace for decades. And yet, with the success of the resulting backlash of craft beer, which has brought real choice back to the people, the mega beer industrial complex wants to co-opt craft beer now, too. We cannot allow this to happen, or it will erode the very progress which we've all worked so hard to achieve. And they know this. I mean, I just want to sort of play a clip that came up from, um, I think it was from... Uh, UCLA TV last year where they were talking about um, entrepreneurs and uh, Greg was actually there as a, as a special guest and he was talking about uh, the difference between the products that he and his team at Stone produce and the industrialized uh, products as well and again you can never like you can never really doubt sort of Greg's commitment to the cause and his passion for for what he does um, I mean just as a side note I always think there's a uh, uh, there's a slight bit of uh, of real resentment against the industrial beer machine when it comes to Greg. But again, what I think it's it's just the fact that the dude is like super passionate for it. So you're gonna do this? I'm gonna pay this play this for you. The concept of that in today's world, that simple level of uh, uh, standards when it comes to simple quality purity, actual real food as being that minimum standard, that that qualifies as snobbery, it is sort of like, I, I think we've changed the conversation and we've, we've lost sight of ourselves if this becomes snobbery. Just like the idea 
that the simple barley, hops, water, and yeast, and nothing else that's in this beer, other than, frankly, quite a bit of flavor, and, and it's delicious, that this could qualify as snobbery, or that, that actually being uninterested and have anything that's sort of less than this, it would be qualified as snobbery, I think is a ridiculous notion. The easiest analogy is your fluffy white bread that's in a plastic wrap you know, on the grocery shelf, and it's laundry list of ingredients versus your corner bakery where it's got a very short list of very simple ingredients you read and you understand which one's better I don't think there's even a discussion there your corner bakery is actually using real ingredients to make real bread versus the industrialized notion of bread or in the case of beer the industrialized notion of of beer and yet we were taught that this is the fancification uh, really, it's absurd. We're taught that the pre-wrapped cheese product thing that comes in the plastic, you know, in the stack, right? That's, that's not a fancification. That that's the, the that's the common man, right? That's the one that you know you that you're you're not being snooty if you have. But if you have the the, the blue cheese with the crumbles, it was actually made by I don't know a rather simple process that goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. That's you got to stick your pinky out for, and that's absurd. It's absurd. Really, it's a return to normalcy. It's away from this industrialized facsimile. Not that I have an opinion about that. I think you can look back at our 17-year history and see that we've never tried to suggest that we're anything that we're not. We've always said, look, we make aggressive big-character beers. Check. We actually make them quite simply. We don't use fancified processes. We use very straight fire forward processes and a really great quality, but simple ingredients. Check. We're going to be honest with you about where we make it. Check. We're going to be honest with you about saying, come on in and actually take a look at where we make it and how we go about it. Check. Uh, what else is there? Oh, by the way, we're probably going to be uh, you know, straightforward about the fact that we think we make kind of pretty tasty beer and if you agree that we think you've got pretty good taste check there you go how how's that that's our marketing the thing is clearly in the world of craft brewing in the world of brewing in the united states people are finding out that they can trust the craft brewers that we're not this marketing machine that's just just designed to get them to buy more I don't care if you buy more, have one. Hey, a lot of people should have none. I'm okay with that, right? But if you're gonna have one, I hope you're gonna wanna have a good one. For me, that's the bare minimum level of tolerance I have. It's gonna be a good one or I will have none. And if you wanna call that snobbery, call me a snob. You know, I love that. That goes into my very essence about why uh, I personally am such a fan of craft beer or real beer, as I like to call it. Um, I love it for the simple reason is that if I'm going out, going out is expensive, and buying alcoholic beverages, you know, it is a luxury. It's not a uh, necessity in your life. It's a luxury. And if I'm going to go out and spend money on a luxury, God damn it, I want like the best possible products that I can buy. I don't want to buy something which is not going to leave me satisfied the fact that I earned, I've worked my ass off 
and that I'm able to spend some money on it. I want to know that I get something good for my money. And if I open a can or a bottle of like something like Budweiser or Heineken, Carlsberg or Guinness Draft in a can, I'm just not going to be fucking happy with that. I'm going to feel really disappointed. And then I'm looking at like what I've just spent money on and I'm not impressed by it. I mean, if you take the example that... Um, in Ireland, like we pay about one euro ninety for a three hundred and thirty mil bottle of Budweiser, and at the same time, a three hundred and thirty mil bottle of, say, like Black's Kinsale Pale Ale is like two euro fifty. You know what? For that extra sixty cents, I'm getting a beer that number one tastes of something. You know, it tastes of uh, actually has flavors, has a flavor profile, has an aroma plo- profile. Uh... I can sit there and I don't if I, if when it, if I take it out of the fridge and it's cold it has one taste I let it come up to room temperature the flavor just opens up and it improves and the aroma opens up even more and that impacts the flavor as well that you're tasting because you know uh taste is very much driven by aroma and yet I open a Budweiser out of the fridge cold smells of nothing tastes of nothing it's just cold fizzy fucking meh and then when I let it get warm, it just tastes of fucking nothing. And you know what? The aroma is just as horrible as a real chemically aroma. And you know what? It gives me nothing. There's zero satisfaction in that. Zero payoff. It's a bit like getting to the end of a story and you being told, and then I woke up and it was all a dream. It's so such a fucking letdown. And you know what? The, the real issue here is that I, like when you, even when you sort of boil it down to it, is... Um, the deception lens that sort of large companies like InBev, Anheuser-Busch, Molson Coors, and that's right, I I said that, deception. And you know, especially when you talk about Matt Miller there from Bloomberg, where he's saying that they'll actually go and set up holding companies to try and remove themselves as much as possible so they don't actually have to disclose the truth about the ownership of these, comp- these beers uh, to people in order to fool them to make them think that they're craft beers and they're buying into this idea of an artisanal product uh, that's being made with care, love and attention. Uh, and there are some people who would say, well, Ian, you know, the counter-argument to that is, you, you know, Bugatti, Skoda, Seat and Bentley are owned by Volkswagen and they don't carry a uh, made-by-Volkswagen badge uh, on the, any of their cars or any of their paperwork or documentation. But you know what, I'd say that argument is not like for like. These are not consumable items we're talking about beers we're talking about consumable foods and if anything again this is food that you're consuming it's important to understand where what you're consuming where it comes from what's gone into it this is hugely important and you know what it even comes back to you know james watt from brewdog last year he had the opinion that the definition of a of craft beer should take a very sort of different route to its def- uh to how it's actually arrived in Europe. And he'd said that he proposes that the definition of craft beer is a beer brewed by a craft brewer at a craft brewery. Uh, that would kind of fucking rule James' stuff out for uh, a couple of bits and pieces because they've been known to outsource their beers to other people to be produced as well. And he says that the challenge then becomes around defining craft brewer and not craft beer. And you know what, I kind of like that approach as well. And that approach sort of puts it back into the artisanal aspect of things and actually driving it back home into that, that it's an artisan producer. And it's, it, it, it becomes a little bit more difficult to blur the lines. 
Uh, and, you know, in an Irish Art Times article last month, Board Beer stated that it believed, you know, the craft beer sector in Ireland was entering a golden age, quote-unquote. And it said that sales rose 42.5% in 2012 and about 35% in 2013. Again, they're huge growth figures. Think about any industry in this country. Uh, in terms of growth in the last couple of years, they are not getting double-digit growth figures. I mean, it's, if you're getting that in your industry, you're kind of laughing and you're you're completely and utterly uh, bucking the trends of everyone else. And, you know, that's really, really important. And just to sort of bring this sort of home, the real core issue here is beer sales are down globally in terms of your industrial uh beer producers their sales are down craft beers came along in the last couple of years in the states and especially in ireland uh where they're growing at rates that are making these guys fucking weep they're looking at the double digit growth figures and going shit i would love double digit growth figures these guys are they're getting brand loyalty they're getting people who are going out and willing to spend more money on beer like on individual beers. Like if you think about it, you go into Farrington's right now and you go in and you order one of their off their guest beer taps and a pint of beer could actually cost you between eight, nine and ten euros and people will happily pay it for a quality product that has uh that has been made with love, care and attention and like has no industrial horse shit going on in it and is just like a really top notch product. Budweiser would love to charge 10 euros for a pint of beer. I bet they would give everything to be able to do that. I bet Diageo would give anything for that. Heineken would give anything for that. And them coming into the craft beer market, being able to crew these, brew these sort of pseudo craft beers or where they acquire craft beer breweries um, where they're able to take a premium price for products. Again, it's... Uh, it does sort of bring up the questionable practices thing. I mean, I'm just going to point one other thing. And if you ever see an advertisement on television where they say they use the phrase uh, "new recipe," new recipe means they found a way to make the product with cheaper ingredients and still charge you the same price. So they're able to take home a bigger margin. And this is the fear that happens when you're talking about the acquisition of craft beer breweries by larger corporations. Is that the product somehow is going to be tampered with and people are still going to be paying a premium price and not understand uh, if changes to the product have actually happened and them feeling swizzed and gypped for something which is artisanal. And, you know, when it comes down to it, to defin- anyone who t- attempts to put a definition on craft beer, whether it's a, a consumer organization like Bior in Ireland in conjunction with Board Beer, or whether it's um, like the European Beer Consumers Association, uh, or whether it's the Brewers Association in the US, you know, any definition is always going to be controversial, and it sure as shit is going to be imperfect. And, you know, people in corporations will love citing potential exceptions as they do in the U.S. And you see that with things like Goose Island, Blue Moon, Shock Top, etc. You know, craft beer is actually part of a societal trend towards authenticness. To uh, locally produce foodstuffs and to sustainable foodstuffs and stuff which is produced artisanally. And it's also part of a trend of people moving away from processed foods back to natural foods naturally produced foods foods without additives foods that like where the ingredients are clear you don't need a science degree to understand what's on the fucking label 
And you know what? I'm, I always come back to this as a thing when it comes to the craft beer or artisanal food. I always put it down to anything which is artisanally produced food-wise. I say it's honest goods that are good and are sold with honesty. And I think that is the underlying uh, thing for me when I'm when I when I think about like good craft beers. I want to think about good artisanal food. I would love to know what other people think about the recent changes to the definition uh, that were made by the Brewers Association in the U.S. And I'd love to know what people think about the definition of craft beer in Ireland and where we should draw the line and if their lines should be drawn. Do we sort of take the approach that? Um, uh, Bra- uh, James Watt from Brewdog has suggested where we actually define craft beer by it being a craft brewer that has brewed in a craft brewery. Do we get down the route where we decide that the definition of craft beer in Ireland for the purposes of enlightening consumers and in making consumers informed is based on volume production, in which case then does that then mean you're going to start excluding craft brewers in Ireland who are still independent, still not owned by large brewers are still making their own way but producing large quantities of beers themselves do you start excluding them do they stop becoming craft beer producers and they become real beer producers or then do you create a set of rules where you've got exceptions where the posts keep getting changed uh, much like the Brewers Association one in the US where they keep having to change it to take into account the Boston Lager Company and the amount of sales of beer that they do um, while trying not to fall into the trap of then accidentally including um other brewers which have been not considered to be craft beer. I'd love to know people's feedback. You can, of course, let me know what you think, hitting up Twitter at 11pm somewhere. You can also drop an email to show at 11pm somewhere.com. be more than happy to read your comments out in the next episode of the show so you actually, uh, we can sort of bring that discussion along further. Uh, or, of course, you know, you can just hit me up on Google Plus as well. If you haven't checked out the video series, like I said, for uh, Irish craft beer and food, check it out on YouTube. Check it out at 11pmsomewhere.com. And, yep, that's last order. So last order for me is I'm going to finish off my Brewery IPA. Amazing beer. If you haven't got one, check it out. And what I'll do is hopefully next week I'll be able to bring you another installment of the Brewers in Ireland uh, series. I am not going to announce who it is. Hopefully this week I'll be able to leak it out on Twitter before it happens. I just need to go and confirm it and get it tied up. So until next time, keep it real, keep it craft.